The following is a message from the Reverend Daniel Kim at Westminster Seminary, California. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this audio are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect and are not endorsed by the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, Today, I wanted to take this time to uh, encourage you to look beyond your circumstance and to find your strength in God and God alone. Uh, In times like these when uh, economic hardship and stresses and pressures that uh, we're all facing as seminary, individuals, family members, and church leaders. Uh, We need to find our confidence in God alone. And with that in mind, let's turn to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Here in this book, uh, at least in the first chapter, we see at least three occasions, uh, three occasions, separate occasions, where we find the Israelites at the brink of collapse. But each time, something happens. And that's uh, where we would like to focus today. Uh, First, uh, turn to verses 6 and 7, reading from NIV. It says here, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that land was filled with them. Uh, It begins with the description that Joseph and all his brothers were now dead. Joseph... And his brothers were, as it were, the lifeline to Pharaoh and those who had authorities to make difference in that part of the world. But Joseph and the brothers were now dead. And, uh, and the Israelites were culturally looked down upon because they were shepherds, had nowhere else to turn to. So in a way, they were left there to rot. However, the Bible says, but, the conjunction, but, Right at that moment, they became fruitful and multiplied and became exceedingly numerous. What's happening here? Just when all the lines are cut off from under them, it then forces them to cast their line on God and God alone. That's how hard times work, does it not? We believe in prayer. We believe in putting our confidence in God. But when all the lines are cut off, as it were, that's when we are forced, we are disciplined to place our line on God and God alone. I believe that's why the book of Joshua begins with these words. After the death of Moses, once again, the people of God must go through this crisis, this major crisis, in order to get to the promised land. But that's no other way would God have his people reach the promised land than this. Go through the crisis because through crisis you're casting your lot. You're drawing your lifeline on God and God alone. I love the uh, description uh, that's found in the book uh, Touch and Live by George Vanderman describing a, a particular young man Uh, going up the Alps for the first time. 
He's, uh, he's being guided by two uh, seasoned veterans of, uh, of that course. Just as they were reaching the apex of Elt, the, lead, the leading guide tells this young man to go ahead and take, take, a, take a look at this panorama yourself. And this young man with excitement goes to the top, reaching the pinnacle. He begins to jump because of his excitement. That's when the, uh, the guides become absolutely horrified. And the leading guide just pulls him down and says, Sir, on your knees. You're never safe here except on your knees. Because of the strong gale that may push you, you know, um, down the precipice, as it often happens. But this young man, not knowing the elements, the power of the elements, began jumping. And so, so the command, on your knees, you're never safe here except on your knees. And the author, George Vanderman, goes on to say, this is worship. This is worship. Love that description. How do we worship God? We worship him on our knees. And we learn to be on our knees when crises face us. Same thing happened here for God's people. All their lifelines were cut off under, from under them. But that's when they learn to get on their knees. That's when they, need, they learn to look to God and God alone. And the Bible says that's when they began to become exceedingly numerous because their casting was on God alone. Please go to the second occasion here, verses 11 and 12. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pitham and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they, they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. But seeing that these people were increasing without check, without boundary, Pharaoh became very nervous and put uh, slave masters over them to oppress them, to kill their spirits, as it were. But the Bible once again says, but, great conjunction, but, but God, what does God do? But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Oppression, persecution does not dampen the spirit of God's church. It purifies it. And it makes it come alive. We see it throughout scripture. We see it throughout church history. I see it in the, uh, the forefathers of my country's faith. Christians. The more they were oppressed and persecuted, the more they thrived. Why? Because persecution has a way of purifying his church. I remember Dr. Jonathan Chow giving this talk long time ago in Philadelphia uh, on the topic of persecution of the China, China, uh, church in China. Because in 1949, when the communists took over and drove out all the missionaries, the world thought, that the Christians, remaining Christians in China, would simply wither away. But do you know what happened in 1979? As Mao Zedong died and the new government was placed in, in the regime and, uh, and the cover opened up as it were, we saw that the Chinese church had grown by leaps and bounds. 
But it happened. Jonathan Chow describes his findings these ways. In 1949, when the communists took over, the so-called rice Christians disappeared from China. Rice Christians, people who came to receive rice, simply disappeared from the scene. So who remain? Those who are faithful to Christ. Those who are faithful to the gospel. Oppression, persecution had a way of purifying his church in China. As a result, the church just thrived. And I can't help but to think about this current situation, whether we face this as seminarians, whether we face this as leaders of seminary, or as church leaders, members, trying, you know, trying to meet ends at home, whoever you are, God can. And God does use these hardships to sanctify us. He does use these circumstances to purify us. At the least, it gives me, someone like me, a pastor of a church, to challenge our people, to turn our eyes away from things of this world and onto the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God that lasts Real values, that's eternal. It gives us an opportunity to challenge our people to purify their thoughts, to purify their priorities, purify their faith. And in this way, we thrive. So look upon these situations as an opportunity to thrive, opportunity to seek God's face and to be sanctified by his grace. One more occasion from chapter 1. Please turn to verses 15 through 20. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. So as a last measure, Pharaoh places these Egyptian midwives, meant to be agents of death, against the people of Israel. I mean, this is a, uh, I guess, uh, Egyptian version of ethnic cleansing. But you know what happens right here. These midwives, meant to be agents of death against God's people, become agents of life. Why? Because the Bible says they began to fear God. How did these Egyptian midwives come to fear God? Well, we're not told, but maybe we could conjecture. Maybe we could guess by seeing the alibi provided by these midwives in verse 19. Perhaps in their numerous hundreds, perhaps thousands of delivery experience, they saw the discrepancy between how Hebrew women fared as against Egyptian women. As it was very common in those days, women, many women died giving births. Many, many children died at the moment of their birth. But somehow, 
these Hebrew women and Hebrew children, they were not only surviving, they were thriving. And perhaps these midwives, seeing all these discrepancies occur day after day after day, began to perhaps fear in their heart. Perhaps the God of Hebrews, God of the Hebrews, perhaps he is the real God. And they have come to fear the God of Hebrews. So rather than becoming agents of death against the people of God, they become their agents of life and blessing. It tells us here that God is not done writing the storyline. God is still writing the storyline. The chess match is not over. God is still moving his pieces. Let us not fret because of the circumstances, one piece or two piece or two movements, three movements here and there, and and concluding in our own thoughts, oh, now we are done. Oh, now we are done. But God is Alpha and Omega. Christ has the last line to write. He has conquered death. We celebrated that a few weeks ago. He sits at the right hand of God. If he is triumphant, then his gospel is triumphant. And if his gospel is triumphant, then his church is triumphant. And if his church is triumphant, we are triumphant. What looks and appears as agents of death, how do you know if God will not turn those agents into agents of blessings for the cause of God's kingdom, for the cause of God's church? Two years ago, while the church that I'm serving at, while we were in the midst of launching perhaps perhaps one of the most significant projects, ministries of our church. The leadership and I, we, we wanted to do our very best in preparing for this, and we prepared, prepared, and prepared. Just then, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And as a result, I had to retreat. I had to hold back. I had to be with my wife and three kids. But you know, that was God's wisdom. Because our wisdom was Prepare, prepare, prepare. But God's wisdom was pray, pray, pray. During those last few weeks before this major project was launched, which is going strong even today, God forced our congregation on our knees and we prayed. And as a result of prayer, as a result of seeking his face and seeking his grace, this project took off in ways that just completely, completely overwhelmed all of our expectations. That is how God works. We in our, you know, we in our myopic vision, we see it this way. We see problems, we, we fear, and we want to give up, and we want to say it is now all done. But God who sees the whole chessboard, God who sees the whole history, God who sees the whole picture, knows what he's doing. He's using those situations to prove once again to his people, to his church, his faithfulness. So the message is same for us today. Rely on his faithfulness. Turn to his faithfulness. Christ occupies the throne. During these hard times when lines are all cut under from us, cast your line on God and God alone. 
When you feel like there is oppression and persecution, ask the Lord to use that persecution to sanctify you and be willing to go through that sanctification process. It's not easy, but it is always good. And when, you, when you're faced with Hebrew midwives, I mean, I'm sorry, Egyptian midwives, as it were, do not fear. God is still writing the storyline. It is not yet done. The storyline is, the concluding storyline is there. Before us in his word, Christ will triumph. Christ has triumphed. And because of his triumph, we too will triumph. May his words encourage you today to cast your thoughts and your hearts on Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and our God, that's what we want to do this morning. Turn our sights away from that which causes us to become despondent and cast our eyes on you, you alone. These are men and women you want to use to shepherd your people. And if we do not cast our eyes on you in moments like these, We will not be effective leaders and teachers. So cause us today to place our eyes on you and say, God, Father, you're good. Your will is always pleasing and always perfect. And you prove that through your son, Jesus Christ. And so our faith is on you. Bless us now. Send us now to your field. Proclaim this message of triumph in Jesus and Jesus alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.